Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. What I saw yesterday at James Madison, I saw children. That's what I saw. I saw children. And this city is never going to do anything that is going to put children in harm's way. That's New York City Mayor Eric Adams, who is uh, how the great city of New York ended up with that guy as their leader. Well, that's machine politics. I grew up with it in Chicago. If you are the loyal servant of the machine and you grease the right palms and you promise the right activist groups and labor groups and whatever that you will continue to pipe money, taxpayer money their way, you get elected. You know, it reminds me in a way of the, uh, like, Clouding Gay, the president of Harvard. She was president of Harvard not because she was a great scholar or a great leader of universities. She's never done anything like that. She was an absolute loyal servant of DEI and, and, and intersectionality. So she got the gig. Likewise, like um, Eric Adams in New York and Brandon Johnson in Chicago, they are obedient slaves of the teachers unions among other things obedient servants if you want to call it that because because they get paid so yeah i guess they're they're employees more than they are slaves uh at any rate <clears throat> new york with a mega crisis over the immigration deal what adams was addressing there was the fact that students at a brooklyn high school were kicked out of the classroom schools just closed off in order to make room for nearly 2,000 quote-unquote migrants who are evacuated from a controversial tent shelter due to the monster storm closing in on the Big Apple. And uh, I, I get that. Well, I mean, you can't have them freeze to death in the tent camp you built for them. I get that. And we'll get back to what's wrong about that thinking in a second. But city made the move and uh, made concerns that a massive migrant tent uh, would collapse from torrential rains and gusting winds. But the students and neighbors were not thrilled when they were 
relocated to the high school, James Madison High School. This is effed up, said a local resident who identifies himself as Rob. It's a litmus test. They're using a storm, a legitimate situation where they are testing this out. I guarantee you they'll be here for the entire summer. There's 1,900 people getting thrown into my neighborhood, half a block from where I live, and we don't know who they are. They're not vetted. A lot of them have criminal records and backgrounds, and we don't even know. An irate mom even went off on the migrants as they pulled up in front of the line of schools. How do you feel? Does it feel good? She asked. Does it feel good? You kicked all the schools out of the kids out of school tomorrow? I hope you feel good. I hope you sleep well tonight. Of course, babe, they didn't do it. <laughs> they came into the country because the borders are wide open and they're permitted to stay. Which brings me to the people pissed off that they took the people out of the giant tent and moved them to the high school. It's like um, getting back to the college thing. It's like where you see uh, black kids, for instance. Black young people are underrepresented as college graduates from Harvard. And so the activists pretend like, well, the thing to do is let more into Harvard. And then give lots and lots of programs to them which don't work at all. And and I say that it's 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 a... It's a statistical question that is easily answered. Do those programs that take the deficit of preparedness among certain demographic groups of kids and try to fix it in college, do they work? And the answer is absolutely no. No. I mean, they almost don't do any good whatsoever. And the studies are out there. And a lot of studies are done by people of good conscience who want desperately for young black kids, for instance, as long as I brought up black folks, they want young black kids to succeed. And anybody with a beating heart ought to want that. But the question is, does that work? And it doesn't. But it's so uncomfortable to say, gosh, I guess we have to intercede when the kids are young. And they're failing for a reason. What are those reasons? Some of them are societal institutional. The quality of schools. I'm a big advocate of school choice. We won't get into that. But um, some of it's the family. Some of it's cultural. Some of it, an enormous problem, as Jason Riley of the Wall Street Journal has written so eloquently about. A lot of it is uh, fatherlessness in black families. But that stuff is so uncomfortable. Instead of addressing that, you have some big old DEI program, spent $16 million on it in the case of uh, University of Michigan, as we were discussing yesterday, and you pretend that you're doing anybody any good. Well, you're not, A, and number two, you're introducing an obscene neo-Marxist racist policy into schools. Which is just awful. So on the one hand, you're doing no good. On the other hand, you're doing tremendous damage. Because you, you, you are squeamish about talking about the real reasons for lack of achievement among certain demographic groups. It's cowardice. It's enormous cowardice. If you get a bottom line it. So anyway, this lady who's pissed off uh, uh, about the migrants being, look, I did it myself, migrants. They're illegal immigrants. 
Because they're not eligible for asylum. It's like 5%, maybe, maybe 5% that are legitimately eligible for asylum. And most of them will tell you that. No, I'm just here for the economic opportunity. As Jack and I have said many times, it's something we do ourselves. Of course, they're brave people trying to improve their families' lives. There are criminals and scumbags as well, but mostly it's just brave people who want a better life. Anyway, uh, having said that, here's the problem. The Biden administration has opened the borders. They know they can stay. They can come with their fake claims of asylum and be released into the country and bust or flown wherever they want and then fed and clothed and schooled and medicated and the rest of it. They've made it a fabulous deal if you can make it to the southern border. It's a dream come true for these people. And again, I admire their courage. That's a hell of a journey to undertake. But that doesn't mean we ought to let them in. So I'm sorry. I'm going off on tangent after tangent. The similarity is these people are super pissed off that the high school's being taken over. And the kids were told it's going to be remote learning. And then, okay, yet another tangent. Did you hear about how this unfolded? The remote learning was crap when it took place, as y'all remember from COVID. Even the best of teachers were really up against it. The best teachers and the best, most energetic students did okay. Everybody else suffered. So there was that. And then a bunch of the teachers at this unionized New York school, they didn't even bother showing up. They didn't do remote learning. The kids tried to log on, and the teacher was not there. Didn't even try. How pathetic is that? How blue state is that? You think they're putting up with that crap in Montana or South Carolina or or Idaho? They're not. Anyway, they put up with it in New York. But finally, 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 he circles back to making his point and how it's similar to the college thing. And I don't know that this lady's a Democratic voter, but at the point that you've made it clear you can come in and you do all the things for the people who make it to the border I was talking about, and you arrest practically nobody, you deport practically nobody, and you give them all the services and blah, 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 blah. Of course you're going to end up with a blanking giant pool of recently arrived illegals, and you got to do something with them. And it's freezing cold, and there's a big storm coming in. So protesting at that point, which I understand because your kid just got out kicked out of school, I'm not saying you're wrong. But I'm saying protesting at that point ignores the 33 steps that have led up to it in the same way that that uh, uh, saying, OK, these kids are utterly unqualified for elite universities, but we're going to bring them in anyway and we're going to give them inflated grades and pretend that they're doing OK. 33 unholy steps have already taken place. You're trying to solve the problem at the end instead of the beginning. And it's so egregious, and I know you know all this, but it's striking to me that it can be so egregious. And only, like, in the last few weeks are people like the uh, New York Times saying, uh, yeah, yeah, um, we have an enormous crisis on the border, and it's untenable, and it's going to get Democrats heaved out of office, and really the only reason for it, and, and I spent a little time on this earlier, David Leonhart in the New York Times, who occasionally edges pretty close to honesty, um, he has a, a column today that essentially says, yeah, Trump was for stuff, and some of the stuff he did was a little ugly, so the Democratic Party has abandoned all of its principles on immigration. 
and essentially let the border just flop wide open. The border is secure. You know, it's really not. If you have the New York Times calling you out, you psychopathic liar, Mayorkas, you're in trouble. But the New York Times has stated the Democratic Party used to have principles on immigration. They had some pretty decent policies. So, you know, I I would have liked them to go a little further in this direction. And they wanted to go a little further in that direction. But they're absolutely a party that we could work with on border security to to a a reasonable extent. And they've abandoned all of that. And the New York Times itself admits, yeah, it's really just because Trump was for cracking down. And so we abandoned all of our principles so we could show that we're anti-Trump. It's what Jack and I have been saying for a long, long time. And I know what you're thinking, or at least I think I know what you're thinking. You hear that, you think, who could be that easily led? I mean, it's like if uh, if Joe Biden, who's a better example than Biden? Because he's a senile nothing. He's, well, that he's bad care. Yeah, that's a good point. Um... Who's my real arch nemesis? It's like if uh, like somebody like AOC or one of your more obnoxious progressives like uh, Pramila Jayapal or, or if Ilhan Omar, <clears throat> that's a good one, if she all of a sudden came out and said, I am a staunch protector of free speech, I believe people should be able to express their opinion, including on college campuses, even if it's an objectionable opinion, even if their professor doesn't want to hear it, even if the administration doesn't want to hear it. It's a sacred principle of academic inquiry that people get to speak their minds. So Ilhan Omar comes out and says that. And I, Joe Getty, come on the air the next day and say, Yeah, I don't think people should be allowed to say things if they hurt other people's feelings. I mean, what would that make me? (laughs) You would despise me. I would despise myself. I mean, I couldn't show my face. If a squirrel saw me, I'd hide. Don't look at me. I'm a monster. What sort of gutless, heartless, non-principled, jellyfish weasel now that'd be a weird breeding experience. I'm, what, what 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 kind of human could behave like that? And yet the New York Times is saying, yeah, Democrats pretty much did that on immigration. It's astonishing. The good news is I think people are starting to come around, uh, left, right, and center. The bad news is there's already God knows. Do you know five million, ten million, twelve million people? who've come into the country undocumented or barely documented. Some of them are the gang members from those uh, gangs that just took over Ecuador or El Salvador. Some are Venezuelans, uh, thousands of Chinese nationals. We don't have a damn idea. The border is secure. Bullshit. I tell you, yeah, it's head spinning. It's one of the greatest failures of democracy I've ever seen. All right, we'll lighten the mood in a moment. Thanks for being here. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Totally forgot we had all sorts of great audio about the immigration thing, but I went off on my screen. Maybe we'll squeeze that in a little, little later in the hour. Mater, uh, the Missouri Attorney General, Andrew Bailey, with some really good stuff. Um, so certainly on the state level, people are aware of how crazy it's gotten. Uh, speaking of crazy, just a, a little bingo, bango, bongo on some com- com- consumer trends. M- mostly among women, and and I don't want to be you know sexist or objectionable about this because dudes do plenty of stupid stuff and get in on crazes too. But all three of these happen to be gals. First of all, Katie, you brought us the fact that there's now like a, a popularity of eye color surgery. Yes, people are going in and they're having a layer of their eyeball removed so that their eyes oh. can be. It's it, they. You're mostly seeing people go from brown to light blue. And I'm guessing that it is really, really attractive women that want that last half a percent of I'm hot. That's been the trend that I've seen online. I have not seen, you know, someone who's hurt in the face area going in for the surgery. Uh, Right. Even if they have to get their eyeballs carved to do it. Yes. Okay. Good priorities. Well done, girls. Good luck. Uh, And then this, I saw this in the USA Today. Freckle tattoos are a thing. But read this before you try the viral trend. The search for hashtag freckle tattoo alone has 259 million views on TikTok. I can't remember how or why this started. 
I, it had to have been a, a character on a TV show or something because a couple of years back, all of a sudden, freckles got really popular to the pe- point where people are doing henna and making them semi-permanent, but now people are just full-blown getting their faces tattooed. That's so odd I and how these trends go because I remember... Um, a, a girlfriend of mine expressing concern about having freckles. It's like, are you crazy? They're cute. You're cute. What are you talking about? And and so that was a thing for a while. Yeah, I went through that. I have freckles under my eyes and on my nose, and I went. I tried to cover them up. But here's the thing: I have guy friends that go, "Oh, you don't need to wear makeup. You don't don't put all that makeup on." The second that I don't wear makeup, either I'm tired or where did your eyebrows go? Oh. <laughs> Boy, you look tired. Yeah, oh, see, you guys can't guys. have it both ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, I won't get in the middle of that one. And then finally <laughs> this. I was 100% unaware of this. Utterly unaware of the craze around the Stanley Tumbler. This is a big mug tumbler thing with a like permanent straw sticking out of it in various snazzy, sexy colors that evidently people are going berserk over. I mean, like beating each other up in targets and spending $600 on a $45 tumbler on eBay. So these went viral not long ago because a woman had one in her car and her car caught on fire and was fully engulfed to the point where the car was gone. The Stanley tumbler was still in there with ice in it. And she posted a video and the Internet went nuts. Well, I get it. That's how it started, but it's not like we're all terrified of losing our mugs in car <laughs> fires. Uh, I guess c- certain colors take off. And once again, an internet trend. Unplug the damned internet. Um, and these things are now going for hundreds and hundreds of dollars in various resale places, depending on if it's the hot color or not. The Stanley Tumbler, if somebody makes reference to it, now you know. It's stupid, but now you know. More to come. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. 
I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So that after four years, McDonald's is bringing back the double Big Mac. They waited four years because that's how long it took customers to digest the last one. <laughs> I'm not sure if a hamburger should be the same size as a carry-on luggage, you know? Oh, Jack will be excited about that as soon as he uh, regains his health. The Super Big Mac. Wow, fantastic. So, uh, the political news last night was uh, a a three-headed monster. Well, kind of two-headed monster. You had the uh, DeSantis-Haley debate, and then the Trump Town Hall uh, across town and uh, on a different channel. I guess the uh, the debate was on CNN, the Trump Town Hall, with Brett Baer, Martha McCallum on uh, Fox News. Uh, here's just a little flavor of what you missed. If you missed uh, the debate, 36, Michael. You know, I debated the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. Um, You know, I thought he lied a lot. Uh, Man, Nikki Haley gives him a run for his money. But every time he lies, Drake University, don't turn this into a drinking game because you will be overserved by the end of the night. You're a liar. You're a liar. You're a lying liar. You lie with your lying lies. Okay, great. What good did that do anybody? Didn't do Haley any good. Didn't do DeSantis any good. Didn't do Republicans any good. Didn't do conservatisms any good. Didn't conservatives. Didn't do America any good. Hell, it didn't even do CNN any good. It was unwatchable. You know, there are a few good moments. They're two smart people who have some good ideas. But the thing was overshadowed over the fact that they both, it was a hatchet fight. And as I was saying earlier, who thinks that's a good idea? I mean, in a general, I get going negative because it's a binary choice. And if you can, you know, convince America your opponent's a fiend, well, they're a little more likely to vote for you. But if you're in a primary situation with people, you know, with very similar policy ideas, same party, and you just everybody convinces everybody else that everybody's a fiend, well, then where the hell are we? Theoretically, you pivot during the general, and then you're just fine. But I don't know. I think Reagan was right. And as and again, it was a point I made earlier. So if you're around, uh, then I apologize. But I think it's worth at least briefly repeating. I, back in the day, if you were to call somebody a liar, that was a huge thing. That was way out of bounds. And if you even hinted at it in a strong way, that made headlines. Um, and if they were, you know, honesty challenged, that might do you some good to bring it up. But we live in the age of online trolls and bitter comments on uh, YouTube videos and 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 Twitter, which is now known as X, 
which is a never-ending stream of vitriol and bitterness. So, a couple of people is saying you're a liar, you're a liar. I don't, I don't even, I don't even notice it. I don't know if the Republican Party. Well, I don't know if we can find its ass with both hands, but I don't know if it can find a, a way to some sort of discipline where the things that they do don't damage the things that they're trying to do. That would be a pretty good mission statement to put on the wall at the Republican National Committee. Don't do things that damage what we're trying to do. I don't know. It's discouraging and dopey. On the other hand, Trump, with uh, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, I thought he acquitted himself quite well. And you know me, I'm, I'm ambivalent about Trump at best. But let's start with uh, 40 today, Michael, uh, or uh, right here, Michael. This is uh, this is part of what he said when Brett Baer or one of the, the folks there in the audience who are asking their questions said, hey, you know, I like you, but there's a lot of chaos. I mean, should I vote for you again? Today with Hunter Biden going into the going into Congress and just sitting down and the bedlam that's been caused today, you have chaos. Uh, we have I think more with Joe Biden, he can't put two sentences together and he's representing us on nuclear weapons with Putin and Xi and all of these very smart people. I think he had very little chaos. I think most of the chaos was caused by the Democrats constantly going after me. You know, if Trump was just a little more disciplined and able to organize his thoughts, he would win 45 states. Uh, But there and in another place and in another place, he kind of put together a coherent answer that you have to piece together. But, you know, it's probably good enough anyway, uh, to the effect that uh, you're worried about chaos under me. We have chaos at the border, chaos in the Middle East, chaos in Europe, Ukraine specifically. Uh, and 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 uh, the point he made there, which I think was a legitimate one, a lot of the quote unquote chaos was because the Democrats and the alphabet networks and the uh, uh, lying uh, intelligence professionals and the social media were all going after Trump on bunk or suppressing stories that uh, that were beneficial to the Republicans or Trump. So yeah, a lot of the chaos that was caused you can't lay at trump's door you know some of it was of course he's just he 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 thrives on conflict so there's going to be some but i thought he fended that one off pretty well again in a scattered way you had to watch for 20 minutes or so but um if he can coalesce that into a, a tight answer i think it'll be extremely persuasive uh let's see i thought this was important this one's long um, but it's good. 42. Can you say tonight that political violence is never acceptable? Well, of course that's right. And of course, I'm the one that had very little of it. Take a look at wars. Again, I didn't start. I wasn't involved in wars. We beat the hell out of ISIS. We won 100%. We brought our troops back home. Look at look at the violence that we've had. Look at the violence we have recently. Right, with- but when you say bedlam... What do you mean? I think you say- bedlam. I think you look at Joe Biden, it's bedlam. You have a man who can't lead. You have a man who can't find his way off a stage after he makes a speech that lasts for about two minutes. No, I think bedlam is Joe Biden. I think that he's using this. This is just a political ploy. Trump is a dictator. He wants to be a dictator. You know, it's interesting. I did a show, Sean Hannity. Did you ever hear of him? He's a very nice man. <laughs> and he said, essentially... You're not going to be a dictator, are you? Tell me. I think he was trying to give me a nicer question than maybe you guys would. He meant it very well. I said, I'm going to be a dictator for one day. 
We're going to do two things. The border, we're going to make it so tight you can't get in unless you come in legally. And the other is energy. We're going to drill, baby, drill. After that, I'm not going to be a dictator. After that, I'm not going to be a dictator. So, so you weren't press, saying no, that no, the And courts- the press picks it up. So I said, I'm going to be a dictator for one day. They cut it. They go, I'm going to be a dictator. But they cut the rest of the sentence. No, no. I am not going to be a dictator. I'm going to manage like we did. We were so successful that the country was coming together. It was actually coming together and coming together well. It was a beautiful thing to see. And we're going to do that again. Yeah, I don't think the country was coming together at all. But um, if he runs on, I will bring order to the border. We will reestablish energy independence. Then he throws in the... And you remember the economy was a lot better under me before COVID. You remember that? We didn't have inflation. You know, the president always gets too much credit and too much blame for the economy. But if he just unleashes that three-point argument to the American people, he'll win going away if he runs against uh, old man Biden. Uh, For the 533rd time, I don't think he will be. I think Biden will drop out. Um, And then it's an entirely different question. Um, well, no, that's not true. It's not an entirely different question. It's a somewhat different question, depending on who runs against them and how they can spin their own arguments. But the border, the economy, and energy independence is a unbelievably strong platform. I just wish, you know, if, if you want him to win, I'm sure you do too, I just wish he could put it together a little tighter. He's just very, very rambly. A couple more answers I thought were really good and he'll need as the Democrats come after him. Uh, 43. There are questions about how much a second term of a Donald Trump presidency, second term, would be about retribution and looking backwards and grievances and how much would be looking forward. I'm not going to have time for retribution. We're going to make this country so successful again. I'm not going to have time for retribution. And then this 49. Would you be committed to NATO, for example, in a second Trump term? Depends if they treat us properly. The reason they have money right now to prosecute what they're doing with helping Ukraine is because of the money I got them. So that's a reasonable answer. Again, I I wish he'd refine it a little bit, but I'm nitpicking. Um, Yeah, we're going to stand by NATO, but they've got to act like they're supposed to. They've got to pay their dues. They've got to make their contributions, the rest of it. That's that's perfectly reasonable. And I don't think most Americans bought the the shrieking, hand-flapping, oh, my God, he's abandoning NATO. It seemed pretty clear to me, again, as a sometimes Trump critic, that what he was saying is, hey, NATO, you need to live up to your obligations. That's reasonable. That's not crazy at all. Now, speaking of crazy, what a whirling snow globe of questions and issues this election is already and will be. Did I mention I bought a really great snow globe in Vienna, Michael? I think I did, didn't no, I? When, no, you didn't. I didn't? No. Oh, my God. Yeah, I did. The, the snow globe was invented in Vienna. It's the birthplace of the snow globe. And I heard that, and I thought, wow, cool. And I, I, the kid in me, who doesn't like a good snow globe? Come on. Well, I found a big snow globe. I mean, it's big. It's like a goldfish bowl-sized snow globe um, with uh, Santa Claus on a horse, I think, and he's got an elf with him or a teddy bear or something, and uh, lots of snow, and it's big. It's like a crystal ball-sized snow globe. And uh, just as we are it was the morning was that right? Yeah, it was the morning we're flying back to the U.S. 
and I've got everything packed away great. I'm ready to go. And Judy, thank God, my wife says, hey, you know, it just dawned on me. A snow globe is filled with liquid. You can't have that in your carry-on. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're right. Well, it's sealed. It's a, no, they won't let me. They're not going to let me. So I had to repack everything to get my snow globe home. But luckily, it did not get cracked. And now I have a really cool snow globe for Christmas time. But anyway, whirling snow. Oh, oh, you think security in this country is tight? Try a German security guard at a time of heightened security. Ooh, no sense of humor whatsoever. Get in line and do as you're told. Anyway, uh, where were we? Ah, the whirling snow globe of issues. Trump and his various indictments. A lot of smart people have said, you know, he's really at risk over the stuff in Georgia. The election interference stuff. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, but he was more at risk at that, certainly, than the idiotic stuff out of New York City, for instance. Um, huge development. And we touched on this yesterday, but Fonnie Willis, the uh, Fulton County prosecutor there, turns out that she hired and has paid $654,000 to her boyfriend to help out with the prosecution. This dude has no experience in this. He is not qualified at all. And the two of them have been living the life O'Reilly on six figures worth of taxpayer money. And as it turns out, you have to submit the hiring of this sort of guy in this sort of way. I don't know the technicalese of it, but trust me on this. You have to submit it to a hearing and go through a procedure and the rest of it. And I think it was the Washington Free Beacon went through all of the minutes of all of the meetings and it never came up. So this boyfriend was hired illegally, probably, paid almost 700 k And the two of them, like, split the money and have been living large on it. It's simple. They love each other. Uh, th- you know, it's a good point, Grandpa Joe. Thank you. Um, and if Wade continued to receive payments at a similar rate for the rest of the contract, and it's not clear whether he did or not, um, it's probably close to a million dollars. And so... And the Atlanta uh, legal community is is unbelievably rattled by this. Ain't nobody saying that's nah, no big deal. Everybody's saying the opposite. This is huge. This is unbelievable. I can't believe this happened. So does this blow up the whole Atlanta prosecution, the Georgia case? It might. It might. This is big. So what a year it's going to be. What a year. We'll try to finish strong next. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. American and British warships repelling the largest attack yet from Iran-backed Houthi rebels targeting commercial ships in the Red Sea. Four destroyers and fighter jets from the USS Eisenhower intercepting a barrage of 18 drones and three missiles. The White House pressed on whether the U.S. will retaliate. We put ships in the Red Sea. They've got a choice to make, and uh, the right choice is to stop these attacks. They'll bear the consequences for failure to do so. The Pentagon has drawn up plans to strike Houthi facilities in Yemen if it becomes necessary. Voice of John Kirby there in the middle or toward the end. I I like John Kirby. I think he's a good man. Um, And he's a smart guy, but uh, they need to make the right decision. Uh, Okay, I'm 
sure the Houthis are thinking, you know, John Kirby makes a good point. We're making the wrong decisions. <laughs> Come on. Oh, that's right. We're in a proxy war with Iran. I forgot. It's like forgetting you're about to get foreclosed on, kicked out of your house. Talk to Ian Bremmer, hour three of the show, to kick off. No, that's not right. It's halfway through the hour. Um, an extended conversation about Eurasia Group's 2024 top risks, uh, global risks. Um, it was uh, stimulating, fast-moving. Uh, we could have talked for four hours uh, because every single topic is is uh, stimulating and, and fairly complicated. But the section, the number two risk they have is Middle East on the brink. And he mentions that on September 30th, 23, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said, quote, the Middle East is quieter today than it's been in two decades. Eight days later, Hamas's a terrorist attack shook the region to its core, etc., then he says, now one thing is certain, the region is no longer quiet and it won't be for ages. More on that tomorrow, but we're out of time. Admit me, chorus to this history, who, prologue-like, your humble patience pray, gently to hear, kindly to judge, the final thoughts of Armstrong and Getty. What he said, that was real eloquent-like. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap up the show for the day. There he is, pressing the buttons, our technical director, Michelangelo. Michael? Yeah, I just don't understand society sometimes. Um, who are you people that look to the internet to do cosmetic surgery or to make a change to your body? you got to be better than that. You're beautiful the way God made you. Katie, I'm looking at you. Thanks, Probably Joe. sexual harassment. <laughs> and, and if... <laughs> Yeah, and you said when you don't wear makeup, guys say, you look tired, or what happened to your eyebrows? I'm not going to say that. Look at me. You think I'm going to say, well, you look tired. I look dead, okay? <laughs> you, all right, you, uh, Katie, <laughs> what? My final, my final thought is we all look great. Everybody looks great. <laughs> Leave yourselves alone. Sure we do. Sure we do. <laughs> Uh, let's see, Jack is out with uh, maybe the flu. They tested negative for the vid, might be RSV. There's such a delightful array of respiratory illnesses to choose from these days. Uh, my final thought is, gosh, this is tiring when I have to do it solo. <laughs> oh, it's frantic. Uh, anyway, uh, beats digging a ditch, and we're lucky to have this job. Thank you very much for your support. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch... Go to armstrongandgetty.com. You can drop us a line. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com is the email address. If there's something we ought to be talking about or you want to weigh in on one of the topics, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Uh, references to virtually any article we talked about today or quoted from is going to be found under hot links. Again, at armstrongandgetty.com. Pick up a T-shirt while you're there. It helps to keep everybody on the staff. Hope you have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless America. Listen up, Jack Wagon. You're opening the aperture. <laughs> I was wondering, you know, what you felt about that. No, thank you. I don't want to hear a blip from you. It's a little too much docky dog. I think we should reject and stand up to crazy people. This is a president who has an extraordinary amount of courage. That was four days ago, five days ago. On that high note, thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.